0: Oh, good morning! Nice to see you guys. Smiling faces, ninety percent smiling. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today and just giving us another day. And God, it's um, it's just so awesome to know that um, mature hearts desire to be an active part of our day and a part of our lives and not just today but every day Uh, we're so thankful for that lord and i pray that um lord we would learn to yield more and more uh, to your leading to your direction that lord we would um take the time to fine-tune our hearing to tune into what um you're saying to us and even this morning lord as we Um, look at Paul's trip to Rome, that Lord, uh, there's so much to to learn there, God. So speak to our hearts, and Lord, um, just guide and direct us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts 27. So why is Paul going to Rome? Well, two reasons. The, probably the most important one is that God wants him there. That makes sense, right? Why go to Rome? Well, God said he was going. And, uh, you know, the second reason was to, uh, to uh, Paul had appealed to Caesar. Um, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, towards the end of Acts 23, um, Paul is, uh, well, everything went downhill when he, when he ended up getting to Jerusalem, but he knew that that was going to, you know, he knew something was going to happen when he got there, but he knew that that was the Lord's will for him to be there. So eventually in Acts 23, towards the end of Acts 23, he ends up down in Caesarea. And he, at this point is trying to, um, Trying to get a fair trial, if you will, between the Jews and the Romans, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out that way. He gives his first defense with Felix, in Acts 24, then Festus, in Acts 25, and that's where Paul realizes that um, that the court system, the Jewish court system, is rigged against him. The Romans are trying to please the Jews, so. In light of the fact that um, in Acts 23, the Lord told him he was going to go to Rome. This is just my thinking. So Paul is thinking, I'm not going to get a fair trial. The Lord said, you're going to Rome. I want you to go to Rome. So Paul knows, well, if I appeal to Caesar, I'm a Roman citizen. I have that right. That'll get me to Rome and get me out of this mess here with the religious leaders Um, in Jerusalem. So he appeals to Caesar. So like Festus said, then to Caesar you'll go. So in Acts 27, we see that trip there. So I like the way Luke uses um, this event, and some call it Paul's fourth missionary journey, uh, to show us one man's faith can make a difference in the storms of life. And it should be an encouragement to our faith as we go through this. Now, when I talk about faith, and I've mentioned this um, a lot of times from up here, my definition of faith is faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. And this is going to be... um, one of those non-complicated messages. This is gonna be pretty straightforward, but I I wrote this down while I was sitting there, and uh, Mayor, I'll give you this back, her sheet of paper. Um, You know, when we're talking about these storms and working through them and, you know, like I'm saying, it's not that complicated, it's pretty straightforward. I'm not saying that there's not emotion or there's not hurt or there's not concern or, you know, we're, we're invested in these things that are happening in our lives. I mean, it's life. So um, that's I'm not saying that, okay? I understand, because I've been alive for a while and been through a few trials of my own and uh, some storms. I understand um, how, how it feels, how, um, you know, the draw it does have on us. But the reason why I say it's not complicated and it's, pretty straightforward, is this is what Paul did. He believed what God told him. He believed what God told him, right? He believed God's word. And what did he do after that? He acted on it. He acted on it. Regardless of how he felt, regardless of the circumstances, um, he acted on it. And why? Because he knew that God spoke to him, that God made a promise that he was going to get to Rome and he was he was just trusting God, so Paul made a choice. he chose to believe what God told him, regardless as to what he was experiencing the difficulties, the storms and here 's paul 's heart here's this is the degree of his commitment and I could have' read half of half of the book of Acts to make this point, but i 'll just take uh, a little section out of Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. Now, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus and Miletus, right? So he says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But here's his response. Hey, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race um, with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, Paul had an attitude, and I, I look at it as an attitude of faith. An attitude of faith. And what is an attitude? Attitudes are patterns of thinking that are formed over a long period of time. Paul, at this point in his life, has been saved 24 years. Paul's had this, is this attitude of faith just developing in his life. And, you know, that's what we... we if we're going to have an attitude about anything, ha, have an attitude of faith as, it, as you grow in the Lord. And then... Ten years um, after this incident where Paul is going to Rome, he writes Second Timothy 4 7, another glimpse into now he's um, going to be martyred soon. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. So that's Paul's heart as he's going into this journey to Rome, um, not, you know, pretty much knowing he's going to be appealing before Caesar, but that's about it. So there's three obvious points that we're going to see through this. Um, and th- actually, you see these throughout the word, obviously, but um, we're going to see them as we go through this chapter, that God is faithful, where God guides, He also provides, and where God guides, He also protects. And we've probably experienced those three things in our lives already, in our walk with the Lord. So Paul's voyage begins somewhere around 59 or 60 A.D. It takes about, it's going to be about a seven-month trip. They get blown 500 miles plus off course, right? Roughly 36 miles a day. So it's going to be an interesting ride. So let's, let's get into um, the chapter. Verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we... Um, should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. And we're going to see that um, Paul is going to be shown favor by Julius, just like he was uh, by Lysias in Acts 23 and 24. And it's interesting how God uh, gave him favor wherever he went, wherever he went. So it says, entering a ship, of Andromiton, we put to sea, meaning to sail across or along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and there's a reference to him in Colossians 4.10, and the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we sailed over the sea, which is off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So, you know, they're coming up the coast of Israel of Asia, there and coming across between the mainland and um, Crete. And they're just traveling till they get to um, Myra, and they're going to get on a bigger ship now because they're going to be going um, out through the Aegean into the Mediterranean and to Italy. That was the game plan, right? And these ships, that, these big grain ships, were huge. Some of them were over 200 feet long, um, displaced like 1,200 tons. Um, you know, they weren't, they didn't get around quick, but they were slow and pretty powerful ships. So these guys, let uh, yes, Julius takes and switches the, the ships, gets everybody on. And then it, Paul picks, uh, Luke picks up the narrative in verse 7. He says, and we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty to Nidus. It was about 130 miles and for that little trip there. And the wind not permitting us to proceed. And at that point, they would have went from there and right straight across the Mediterranean to Italy. But because of the weather, they were unable to do that. So it says that we sailed... Under the shelter of Crete off Salomon, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So, Fair Havens seems like a, a nice place to, to stop, right? If they're looking for a place to winter, just the name sounds inviting alone, right? And so, um, but that's not going to be the case. So it says in verse nine, and this is where it starts to get to be interesting. Now when much time had been spent, so they're debating what to do, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, men I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So this is could be late September, early October, after the Day of Atonement had already had passed, and back then that was like the cutoff time to travel out on you know on the sea. It was very dangerous, and you know it's interesting. And if you want to circle verse 10 in your Bible and then put a reference over to verse 21 through 26. And um, this is really, if you have an issue or you have a thought that maybe God's not answering your prayers or God doesn't answer prayer, um, when we get to verse 21, you're going to definitely know that he does. And he does, we know that, but this is, you know, we're going to see this so clear that God answers our prayers. You know, it might not be when we think he should, but he does, He's faithful. He's faithful. And Paul is putting all of his confidence, all of his faith in his relationship and his knowledge of who God is. And I know that we look at Paul as this spiritual giant. and I mean, he was. God called him to do some really awesome things. But God was able to use him because he had an attitude of faith. He trusted God at his word. He didn't, you know... He might have struggled in maybe times where we don't know, you know, like obviously we weren't there. But, you know, I'm sure Paul wrestled in prayer with God like we all do. So verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion, or Julius, was more persuaded by the houndsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And that makes sense. I mean, Paul is, um, he, he's a rabbi, he's a pastor, you know, he's this Christian guy. What does he know about sailing? The helmsman, uh, the owner of the boat, I mean, these guys, that's their life. That's what they know. But if you read 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, in verse 25, Paul says, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, and he goes on and talks about imperils in, in the sea. You know, Paul had experience; they just didn't know it. And Paul not only had experience, but um, he has the spirit of the Lord. And he's, you know, he's telling these guys, "Don't do this, don't do this." All right? So they uh, obviously they don't listen. In verse 12, it says, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and the northwest in winter there. So they were at Crete, on the would be the east side of it, and they wanted to get over to the west side of it, and there was a little niche there. And so the wind would be blowing out of a different direction. Um, it was a lot bigger of a place to winter in. So the guy the the guy who owned the ship thought that he could probably maybe could sell more of the product that he had there, wheat, whatever he had. And that Julius is maybe thinking, this is a better town for my men to spend the winter in. You know, hard to... Uh, hard to figure exactly what they were thinking. It's just um, speculation. So in other words, greed and the desire for comfort may have gotten in the way of good sense. Paul's already told them not to do it, but you know they made the choice to do it. So verses 13 through 17. Now when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out the sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a t- tempestuous headwind arose, called a Euroclydon, or some people pronounce it Eurocliton. Um, no matter how you pronounce it, it's this fierce storm that's going to wreak havoc with uh, everyone on the ship. So when the ship was caught, and could not head into the wind, we let her drive, and running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to gird the ship, and fearing least they should run aground at Syrtis Sands, they struck sail and were so driven. So there's a lot of nautical stuff in here, um, it's kind of what was happening is they were coming across, along Crete, hoping to get around that little bend. But before they could, this nor'easter came out of the north and the east and just totally blew them off course. And it says when um, that they couldn't get into the wind to go into the wind, They just they just let the boat go. They just let it go with the wind. So the skiff is a, a little like lifeboat. They managed to get that back on board and secure it. And when they did that, they have these ropes and cables that went under the ship, all along the whole length of the ship. And when things got like this, the concern was either hitting you know a sandbar or not being able to see where they were going. So they didn't want the ship to start coming apart, so they cranked these cables up. They call it frapping the ship. So what they did is they tightened everything up and just kind of just locked everything in on the ship. There's like standard procedure in a storm like this. So they're, they're just driven by the storm. In verse 18, it says, And because we were... Ex- and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we, and Luke's including himself now, they threw the ship's tackle overboard um, with our own hands. So it's, it's getting pretty bad. The storm, this tempest, um, there, Luke describes it as tempest-tossed. It's there, they're out in the ocean, the Mediterranean, and just being tossed. You know, to and fro, just almost like our lives at times, right? Just toss to and fro, right? So, um, you know, they're lightening the load. <laughs> they're lightening the load. So that's, that's not a good sign if you're um, a sailor and, the you know, the captain tells you to start throwing stuff overboard. Um, you know, that's usually not a good sign that um, things are going well. So, but, you know, they're in this storm, um, you know, you can kind of let your mind wander a little bit. What are they thinking? Is anybody on the boat saying maybe we should have listened to Paul? You know, maybe he knew what he was talking about. It's hard to say, but, you know, they're doing all that they could. So in, in verse 20, it says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and then I like how Luke puts it, No small tempest beat on us. No, so it must be a big tempest, a big storm. And they, can't, they didn't see the sun or stars, so they had no way to navigate. They had no way to figure out where they were. So they're just in the sea, no sun, no stars, in the dark, just at the mercy of this, this storm. And then at the end of that verse, it says, All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Hmm. The eleventh hour, right? The storm is beating on them, and literally, I mean, I mean it's this that ship is taking a beating by the storm to the point where these are seasoned, these are seasoned sailors, and they're getting ready to throw in the towel. That's how bad this storm is. So, have you ever been there? Are you there now? Right? You know, circumstances in your life just continue to just keep, you know, and you're wondering, you know, when is this storm going to start to give? You know, when are things going to change? You know, and sometimes. Unfortunately, we almost get to that place, place where we just resign to the fact that there's, maybe there is no hope. Maybe there is no hope. But there is, and we're going to see that. And that's what I love about this account. You know, these guys, they're ready to just give up. And hey, can you blame them? They have no idea where they are. This, we're going to see that this storm lasts 14 days. They have no idea where they are. The ship's falling apart. Everybody is throwing stuff overboard. You know, it seems like that all hope is gone. The 11th hour. That's why I like verse 21. Actually, I like the whole account, but verse 21 is pretty good. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, hey, you guys should have listened to me. Ouch, that had to hurt, right? You should have listened to me. He's just being honest, right? You should have listened. And, you know, how many times have we received counsel and just kind of ignored it? And then when something happened, and then, you know, we talk to somebody, and it's like, well, you know, if, if you would have listened. You know, we don't like to hear that, but sometimes that's the truth. You know, listen. You know, listen. So, men, you should have listened to me and, have not, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. So, it's interesting, after long abstinence from food, everybody else on the boat, I really believe, was seasick or just couldn't eat. I believe in my heart that Paul was fasting and praying somewhere on that ship, for God to work, for God's grace, for God to intercede, for God to just insert himself in the situation before things really, before the ship was gone. And, you know, I was just thinking about prayer and, you know, thinking about Paul praying. What was he praying for? The weather, the um, wisdom for the sailors, wisdom for Julius, The centurion, um, was he, you know, did he, was he, you know, was this prayer compassionate? Was there uh, fear in it? You know, what was he, you know, he's just praying, interceding um, for these men, for their safety, for the ship. And really, um, it challenges me. You know, Paul was praying. You know, what an example for us. You know, because when the circumstances or the storms in our lives grow worse, We need to pray more. You know, we need to keep the focus on him. You know, the storm, whatever it is that's going on in life, it's going to distract you. But we need to discipline ourselves and stay focused. You know, we're called, you know, Paul encourages the church to walk, not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. You know, and it's a difficult thing to do when you're in the middle of something like this. But it's, it's what we need to do. You know, we need to in- discipline ourselves to that extent. One quick thing about prayer. What, Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. But, you know, Paul's talking about, you know, the, the variety of prayer, He's talking about when he says always, you know, he focuses on the frequency of our prayers, you know, in the spirit, you know, focuses on submission. Our prayers should line up with the will of God. Um, Being watchful, he focuses on the manner of our prayer. All perseverance. I'm sure Paul was persevering in prayer as all of this is happening um, to the ship and to these men out on, you know, in the Mediterranean. So Paul changes things, or prayer changes things, I'm sorry. It changes things, it changes situations and the circumstances of life. I told you guys to mark verse 21 through 26 down. Listen to, this is what Paul said in verse 10. Man, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, listen to what he says in verse 22. Now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you, or the answer to his prayer, granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. I believe, God, that it will be just as he told me. However, we must run aground at a certain island. So the angel is telling Paul, hey, don't be afraid. So was Paul a little afraid? Um, Yeah, I think he was concerned you know hey it's not a lack of faith if you're in a circumstance and you show emotion and you're concerned about what's going on i mean that's normal you know this ship's getting ready to go down and paul is interceding and praying lord do something and god acts god acts god answered his prayer right and i and you know he's praying for the lives of those on the on the ship, because the angel tells them, indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You know, it, it, it's saying that, you know, God answered your prayer for every person on this ship. So take heart, men. He's encouraging the men now. He's encouraging the, 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 the guys that are on the ship. He's telling them, take heart for i believe god that it will be just as he told me paul is saying hey guys you know take heart because i heard from god you know and i th- this is you know the god this is the god of the bible you know this is the god that i've been praying to you know this is the god who worked in my heart and told me to tell you not to leave that port you know this is the creator this is god almighty right and paul is saying that I know this is going to happen because you know God told me. God told me. And God does speak to our hearts. When we're in circums- you know we're we're in situations, difficult situations and times, God does speak to our hearts. And you know I really believe that he does that. He he's giving us something to hold on to. He's giving us something to kind of shore up our faith, if you will. You know, to Um, just continuing to move forward. So, it's interesting. The ultimate reason Paul was delivered, obviously, is he had, you know, God told him he was going to Rome. But just his presence on that ship blessed the other 276 sailors with him because of Paul, they were saved as well. You know, and... I when I was thinking about this the other day, I was thinking, and I, w- I wasn't going to share this, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Paul is, like, the ship is the world. Paul is in the world, right? All the guys on the ship are the world. And they're going, They're they're on a journey. Rome is the promised land. And Paul is the only voice that they have to to get saved and you know I think about that you know we're on this planet Jesus came to redeem us he came to save us and it's a knowledge of that and believing that in our hearts is what saves us you know and we're all in this storm of life you know we are we're all in it together we're all in it together and the answer and the solution In the way we deal with the issues um, on this planet, whatever they are, whether um, they're issues you hear on the news or family things, whatever it is, um, the answer is still the same. It's faith in our Heavenly Father, right? It's through prayer. It's through trusting the Lord. It hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. So anyhow that's how my mind works sometimes but it's all right so paul says in, in verse i for i believe god that it will be just as it was told to me so paul's attitude his mindset was god said it so that settles it and it's 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 an e- i know it's easy to say that i know it sounds cute but you know but it's the truth if god said it that does settle it cuz he's god so are we at that place yet? Are we taking God at His word? Are we believing the word of God and acting on it no matter what the circumstance might be? Are we trusting God regardless of what we see? Regardless of what we're facing, are we trusting God through that? Are we staying the course? Because we know that right that God promises a good result. He does. He does. All right, let's get back to the text. Verse 27. Now, when the 14th night um, had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And, um, you know, these are seasoned sailors. I don't know, maybe they heard waves hitting um, off of rocks or whatever, but they're sensing that they were drawing near land So they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. It's about 120 feet. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing least, we should run aground on the rocks. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So they're... Here, they're, they're getting closer to sunk, to land, they don't know what it is, um, because they don't want to run into the rocks or whatever at night, they throw four anchors off the back of the ship to kind of lock them in place so they don't go any further, and um, it said they prayed for day to come, so I wonder, is Paul having that big of an effect on them that now they're praying? for the day to come. And it says, As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors for the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So it's interesting there's a new commander on the boat and his name is Paul. Slowly but surely, Paul is taking, Paul is taking control of the situation, right? He's the, he's the one who's making the calls. Um, you know, and I've heard that, you know, accounts where these guys had to stay on uh, the ship or else everybody was going to be lost. I think part of the, the reason or Paul's thinking is, you know, this was like all hands on deck, you know, if a, if a group of sailors are going to jump ship and now you're depleting the, the guys on the ship that they need to, to get safely to the shore. Um, some folks think that there's a bunch of different ideas, but for the sake of time, we'll just keep moving then. All right. So in verse 30, um, to survive, they would need, you know, all the sailors on, on hand. They need the skilled sailors. Verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, once again, Paul taking the lead, Paul implored them or encouraged them to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take the nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. He's encouraging them again. And when he had said this, said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, it they began to eat. So Paul's giving thanks for the food. He's giving them, obviously, more um, encouragement, telling them to eat. You're going to need your strength, um, you know, because there's not going to be a... <laughs> not a hair is going to fall off the head of any of you. Just still encouraging them. And it's one thing that I, I, I like about that is Paul hasn't stopped encouraging them. He's just encouraging them, and then he's encouraging them, and then he's encouraging them. You know, and we need that. You know, we need that. We need, um, we need a friend. Uh, we need a brother or a sister to just continue to encourage us. Continue to pray for us. Continue to speak into each other's lives. You know, because, you know, it's easy, and I think you guys know this, it's easy sometimes to get discouraged, especially if, if whatever you're dealing with is, is kind of stretched out a little bit. You know, and you need that. And I think Paul is just continuing to encourage them. Hey, come on, you guys, eat, you know, because, you know, this is, you know, we still got to get to shore yet. You're going to need all your strength and you know, by the way, not one of you were not not one of you will be lost. So so encouraging. And that's what it says in verse 36 that they were all encouraged. right? They also took food themselves, and in all were about two hundred and seventy-six pers- persons on the ship. <clears throat> and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. And threw out the wheat into the sea, so <clears throat> this is this is the last ditch effort. They're throwing anything that weighs anything that they don't need that they're not going to need. They're going to throw everything off the ship, and the whole idea is to get the ship higher in the water, right? So they you know Luke goes into a lot of detail about um, you know the sailing jargon and just. You know, the wisdom that these guys would have being out there. So they're unloading the ship, throwing everything off, even the cargo, to get that ship as high into the water as they could, because now they're going to make a beeline, if you will, to shore with the ship. So in verse 39, it says When it was day, um, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. So they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. So there, there's a little opening. <laughs> they see a beach, and that's what they're aiming for. So they had the rudders tied up so that when they were just being thrown around um, in the sea and being tossed around, so now they want some ability to steer the ship. Right, And so they're going to put up the mainsail and they're going to try to get through that opening to get to the beach. But in verse 40, 41, it says, But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. They must hit a sandbar or something like that. And the bow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being beaten by the violence of the waves. So now they're stuck. They can see the beach. The waves that are coming in are starting to pull apart the back of the boat. So it's just interesting how it unfolds. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Least any of them should swim away and escape. So back in those days, if you had 50 prisoners, when you got to Rome, you either had 50 live prisoners 50 dead prisoners, but the total had to be 50. So, and if it wasn't, you paid, the Roman soldiers would pay with their life. So this is something that, you know, they're trying to protect themselves, but it's interesting, once again, you know, God is giving Paul favor through a centurion. And it's interesting, you can see God's hand through all of this. Through the difficulty, you know, even through this, so you know what's going through Paul's mind. You know, let's kill the prisoner. Oops, I'm a prisoner. You know, he he has to go to Rome though, and God is going to do. Um, he's going to do what it takes to get Paul there. So, if you know, we go through things and we think we're in it alone, but God is God is putting people in our lives to help us along the way, and we don't even know it. We don't even know it yet. You could be sitting here going through something, and you have no idea of how it's going to work out. You know what? God is already putting things in place. If we're faithful to yield to him, you know, and, and just stay on track, God God has got it worked out. We don't see it all the time. In fact, most of the time, Right? Until, you know, it's like hindsight when it's behind us. But all through Paul's, this, this, in particular, this journey, but even when he got into Jerusalem and got arrested, God had Lysias, the, he was a commander, not even a centurion. He ended up getting favor with him. You know, Paul, all along through his ministry, God was always ahead of him, putting things in place. And God does that for us. He does that for us. And, you know, that should really, I mean, I, I could just stop here. You know, that alone, to know that God is that involved. And that, you know, just, you know, that, you know, um, just that invested in our lives. That he is going to move mountains for us, whatever it takes. He loves us so much. That he gave us, he he, he sent his son to, to redeem us. And here he is, the, the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners. But Julius, right? But Julius, there's, you know, there he is again, God putting somebody in Paul's life. You know, Julius is in charge of the soldiers. And, you know, listen to what he tells him. I think it's pretty cool because to be a Roman soldier, you had to know you, you had to learn how to swim. It was like a, you know, if if you're a Navy SEAL, right, you have to learn how to swim, right? You're in the water, you're a navy guy. But these these Roman soldiers had to learn how to swim. So what is um what does Lysias do? It says, But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, you know, get there on boards or some other parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So I think what Julius is thinking, you guys that can swim, you jump in first and you go to shore. So he knows all of the the soldiers can swim. So he's got to be thinking they're going to get to shore and they're going to collect the prisoners as they show up. On the shore, so, but he's doing this, you know, and, and he's putting himself at risk by doing this for Paul. But that's, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, he he got to the point where he just respected Paul. I don't, you know, think of what Julius experienced in this whole um, ordeal. Being out and you know lost, when they thought everything was everything was lost, there was no hope. I mean, Julius and these sailors are are witnessing everything that God is doing, everything that God's doing. So, what are some of the practical lessons? And we'll close with these. The first thing is It captured everyone's attention. The, the 276 people on board knew that they were at the mercy of the storm. They were helpless and without hope. They became aware of their need for a savior. They, they were, there was nothing that they could do. You know, and obviously, um, when we were lost, there, were nothing, there was nothing we could do to redeem ourselves. You know, Jesus paid the price for us. He did it all. The 276 people on board would be brought to the place of decision. We've all been there. Through whatever brought us to the Lord, we were all brought to that place of decision. Is this God of Paul's able to save us? And of course the answer is yes, but did they accept it? A lot of people hear the truth and see it and experience, but do they accept it? Second, the storms often come when we disobey the will of God. And of course, Jonah is a good example of that. Um, however, it wasn't Paul's fault that, this, that the shipwreck happened and they got lost at sea. But sometimes we suffer because of the unbelief of others. What do storms do? Do storms have a way of revealing our character? Some of the sailors, selfishly who tried to escape, others could only hope for the best. But Paul trusted God and obeyed his will. So it reveals our character. Even the worst storms cannot hide the face of God or hinder his purposes. You know, and I was thinking about that. You know, no matter how bad it gets and we think that, you know, how is God going to pull this off? Um, you know what? He's going to. He's going to, and we don't, you know, we don't need to know, I guess. I mean, we'd like to know, but we don't really need to know. What we need to know is that God is faithful and that God's word is true. And if 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 we could settle the issue right there, right, and then just trust the Lord for the rest. You know, God overruled the circumstances, and Paul got to where he needed to go. And God can do the same for us. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And so God could overrule anything that we're we're going through. Does he? Sure. Does he do it when we would like for it to happen? Not all the time. Sometimes it's kind of exciting when you're praying. It happens when you think it is going to happen or should. But most of the time, you know, God is building character in us. And I know that... Um sometimes you're in a storm or going through a circumstance that's really difficult and you know, and I can understand thinking, well can we work on the character later? Could we get this resolved, right? But that's all a part of it. That's all a part of it. And you know, I it just you know, and if you get into chapter twenty-eight, you know, you think it's just about getting Paul to Rome. Paul's working on the fire. The viper latches onto him. You know, the natives are looking up. Man, this guy must have really done something wrong. You know, the snake bites him. Nothing happens to him. So now they're, you know, they're like thinking Paul is like, you know, the special kind of person. They meet a, a, a prominent person on the island, Pubilus. I think that's how you say his name. Well, his dad is sick. Paul prays for his dad. His dad gets healed. God heals his dad. And then everybody that's sick on the island comes to Paul and he prays for them and they're healed. Now, you know, and then of course he ends up getting to Rome. But I I guess the point I'm trying to make is we have no idea. We have no idea um, what or how or what God is going to do through us you know what the outcome is gonna be. Paul, Paul, there's something that Paul is gonna Paul's the main reason is to get to Rome. But look at everything that God is doing on the way. You know, and, and we need to just keep looking for God. We need to keep looking for his hand in the situations that we face. Because he is there. And you know God is gonna God is gonna give us that insight. God is gonna give us that assurance that we need. Because he understands how you know our frame, he does. He understands it totally. He created us. He knows how we tick. He knows how we worry about things. He knows all of that. But yet, in all of that, he's saying, "I love you. I want to minister in your life. I want to be an active part of this. Don't don't lock me out of what's going on. You know, I want to be an active part of that. You know." Put me, keep me in the process. So important for us to think that way. I know because sometimes our first, um, our first inclination is to say, you know, well God's given up. You know, it's been, you know, it's been a week. It's been a month. It's been. I know it's, it's the flesh is weak. You know, we, you know, we just we need to trust God. So, I'm gonna. Last time I. I want to have I want I have to give you guys an opportunity uh, to come up for prayer if you're going through something and you know believe me hey, there's no uh, shame in any of that I mean if you're dealing with something I mean this is what church is all about this is I mean it's it's praying for one another it's it's being um, you know just leaning on the body um, so it was kind of late to call the worship team to see if they could do this song so. Um, we're gonna play a song. It's called "In the Eye of the Storm." And uh, Pastor Richard, if you could come up, Pastor Mark, I don't know who else is in here. But um, if during the song, if the Lord's tugging on your heart, you just you want prayer, um, you know, come up. You know, we can anoint you with oil. Whatever it is, um, God just wants to do that work, and God is gonna see you through whatever you're going through. I mean, he's regardless if you come up here or not, but he's going to see you through it. I can say that with all certainty, with no doubt in my mind, because we serve a good God, a loving God. Just so seek the Lord and um, just come up if you want prayer.